All right. You know, uh, uh, we have a special treat today. We have a guest preacher in town. Amen. Um, you know, when you're the normal preacher, it's, it's just a win-win when you have a guest preacher. Number one, you get uh, to have a Sunday morning that's normal, which is uh, refreshing. Number two, it's a win because if the guest preacher just blows it out and does an amazing job preaching, the congregation strengthened and encouraged, amen? But if he just does a, to- a horrible job, like, woo, then guess what? Everyone's like, we really like you, Joel. <laughs> Win-win for me, right? Anyways, really not about me. Um, Acts chapter 2, I want to read this verse to introduce our, our guest preacher. In Acts chapter 2, it says, uh, it says in verse 12, excuse me, verse 17, I don't have my glasses. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. One of the, we're studying through the book of Acts, and one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is that he inspires people on new ventures. He inspires people to have a vision, to have a dream, not for themselves, but for God. Amen? And to do things for God. And we are, uh, Shannon uh, and Janella Vanzi have had a dream and a vision to plant God's church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Amen? And they have uh, uh, moved to Sioux Falls. And they are starting a church from nothing, scratch, zero. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but that is a venture, if there ever was one. They have had to leave the friends that they love. They've had to go out on faith with, like, no, who knows who will come, who knows who won't come, et cetera, et cetera. How is this all going to work? They've been meeting in their house. They've just, it's, it's a very scary but faith-building time because when God... Where God guides, God provides. Amen? And so Shannon and Janella are heroes in the faith to me. They've uh, been going, they've been there for about a year now, and they're kind of traveling around to the upper Midwest in other churches as well, upper Midwest, sharing what God is doing, sharing about their vision and dream, sharing uh, about the messages that God's put on their heart, as well as uh, recruiting if anyone wants to move to Sioux Falls and join them then you have our full support here, amen, because we know what it's like to, to do this. So uh, anyways, uh, if you are interested in, in talking more with Shannon and Janelle about their vision or dream or po- potentially possibly moving there, maybe not like tomorrow, but someday or whatever, we're going to have a lunch afterwards at Culver's um, to, uh, to get some fellowship time. So I just wanted to throw that out. Uh, lunch today to get some time with Shannon and Janella. So with no further ado, Shannon um, is going to come on up and he's going to preach the word. So, all right. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody. Yeah, we were here in July because we moved to Sioux Falls uh, Father's Day last year, which is the end of June. So let me turn this little thing on here. I got this. Okay. So let me before we get into the lesson, let me just give my spiel <laughs> about us. So like you said, we just moved to Sioux Falls because we just felt like um, 
that region of the country has been on my heart for a long time. And our Fellowship of Churches has no church in that entire area. If you, if you look on a map and you circle this huge area outside of Minneapolis and Omaha and just go up in this huge swath, there's this huge part of the United States and still Canada yet that we have not yet reached with our Fellowship of Churches here. So it's on my heart for us to start that and, and, and move forward in that direction. And so we prayed a lot about it, and I was praying that God would send somebody there. And I prayed that for a few years. Uh, don't pray that prayer unless you plan on going yourself. Because God put it upon my heart and my wife Janelle's heart to say, well, why don't we go up there? Why can't we go? What's keeping us back other than the insecurities and fears and concerns of how does this work? But then I look at the scriptures and it doesn't tell me I can't do something like that. Uh, because God can move anywhere. God can do anything. And that's the call for us to go wherever it is, whether it's here within Eau Claire or Sioux Falls or wherever we're at to do his will. Um, so we're the Great Plains Church of Christ. I wanted to call it the Sioux Falls Church of Christ, but that name was already taken. So, And actually, I like this name better because we have a few disciples that don't live in the city proper. So it kind of fits our name a little better. Uh, we're on Disciples today. If you ever get on Disciples today, um, our church locator's on there. Um, they just revamped that whole website about a week or two ago, so it's a little different. But we're on there. Um, that's us. Let's see here. A quick look at our website. And so this is us. We moved there. That was last June. That's the falls. We have to prove that we actually have falls in Sioux Falls. Um, it's a beautiful area. They have a, just like here, they got a river that kind of snakes through the town. We were driving around yesterday. We got here early, so we kind of drove around to check out your town, drove around, went up to some, I forget the name of the park. It went up. Anyway, we looked around. It's kind of, kind of view of your town, the people, kind of what's, what's the vibe of this area. Uh, but anyway, this is Sioux Falls. This is us. And now this is us uh, as a church. So we have another couple in the middle. They just moved from Honduras. Um, they spent 14 years working on getting their U.S. Um, papers to be permanent residents of the United States because it is so dangerous in Honduras because of, you know, cartels and things like that, that they said, we, we need to, we want to move. And so they, we've kind of absorbed them into our fellowship. Great couple. And this couple on the uh, right is moving in like a couple weeks um, to be a part of our church here from the Columbia, South Carolina church. So it's amazing how you don't know what God's going to do, how he's going to work, but you just go out on faith. God does things. He starts moving in, in great ways. So we're really excited. Um, just about Sioux Falls, I just like to let people know because most people in Wisconsin probably only think about Wisconsin, right? Well, Sioux Falls is a, is a regional hub of our area. And so everybody comes there for medical, comes there for a lot of the business. It's the epicenter of our state. And so it's a really growing, thriving area of about 260,000 people. And it's growing every year. So now the whole city is basically saying, how do we manage this, this growth? Because it's becoming so financially um, stable and going in a great way. We get on these uh, um, Forbes best lists like every year for different things for growth and whatnot. So if people are business-minded or thinking, how do I move? Or if I know somebody that lives there, um, is this a place that would work nice for me and my family? It does. So if you know people that are interested, let them know that it's a, it's a very positive city to be a part of. We have two universities there, Augustana University and the University of Sioux Falls. Small universities, um, but we have two outside, our way, both sides, USD, University of South Dakota, and South Dakota State, who 
we're also big hubs. That is our dream is to have a campus ministry, a regional hub of a campus ministry. I went to South Dakota State for my undergraduate, so it's obviously my heart. I think we got like 11,000 there, another 11, 12,000 at USD. Uh, we just got one of our guys drafted by the Eagles, our tight end for South Dakota State on third round. So he, the problem is he has to have the quarterback, Wentz, is a North Dakota State grad, so he has to throw to a South Dakota State grad. So I don't know if this is going to work out. And that's a big thing in our state. I don't know what your rivalry is here. Uh, oh, the Eagles. <laughs> the Eagles. I don't like the Eagles either. Uh, so just some interesting stuff about us. But it is a growing city. It's a very diverse city, too. It started off as just a typical Midwest town, pretty much all typical Caucasian farming community. But now it's growing. It's becoming much more diverse than the art scene, just the, the different way of um, big cities growing. And I said, you know, afterwards, let's talk. If you're interested in the, our city, uh, if this is something that might be on your heart, um, come talk to us. Come over to Culver's. Hang out with us. But number one, beyond all that, is we just ask for your prayers. Amen. We believe heavily in the power of prayer. We pray for your church daily. Um, you know, up in the upper Midwest, we pray for our churches. So we pray about you guys quite a bit. And we don't know you that well personally, but we pray for you. Because we want to see great things happen here in your lives, in your city, and in, in your lives too. So if that's something you're interested, definitely talk to us. I talked to him. He said, yeah, you can shamelessly uh, come in here and tell people to come move if you want to. I said, amen. I would love to have anybody that wants to have that on their heart, too, um, can join us. But number one, we just want you to know who we are, and we want that connection. We really believe in the power of connection with family and that feeling that we have together because we are one church. Amen. So if you go in your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're talking about just that topic. You know, it's really interesting. We've moved a lot as disciples. My wife was baptized in the Houston church. I was baptized in the Kansas City church. Uh, we ended up meeting in the Los Angeles church. We were, I was in the ministry there. We moved to the St. Louis church. We're in the ministry there. We moved to the El Paso, Texas church. We're in the Omaha church. And now we are in the Sioux Falls church. So we've been a part of a lot of our churches. And they all have a different vibe to them. There's certain things that are their strengths and their, their different ways they sing songs. Like the way you guys end songs here are a little bit different flow than other ways. Um, I'm our current song leader, so I'm sure my wife is so inspired to sing with you guys because I am not a song leader by nature, but I do my best because we just worship God no matter what. But the great thing is we're one big church worldwide. I know you guys are focusing on Africa, I believe, for your special missions. So I'm sure Africa and the churches there are a huge part of your heart, and, and we're one church. We're one, not national, we're international church. We're one big group. But let's go here to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The title of the lesson, if you're into titles, is just the body of Christ. The body of Christ. You know, when Paul's writing this letter, one of the things that really sticks out to me about an issue he's seeing is he's concerned about their unity, and he's concerned about their humility. Those two things just pop up right away in my mind. And I think, well, what, you know, it's really easy, especially as a young, when I was a young Christian, to look at these churches and say, what's their problem? Man, why don't they get it together? But the longer I've been a Christian, the more I'm more introspective, like, well, what's my problem? What's my issue? 
How am I interacting with my fellow brothers and sisters? How is my humility? How is my unity in the church? Sure, my specifics might be different than the people, you know, a couple millennia ago back in Corinth, but it's not that much different because we still have the same kind of hearts. And I think Paul is really concerned that if this church in Corinth is going to make it, if they're going to be able to glorify God in Corinth and the surrounding areas, they've got to be unified, and they've got to be humble, and they've got to work on this oneness thing. They really need to work on this oneness thing. So that's the first thing here, if you're into points. I really want us to get this, that the church is a unit of one. We're a unit of one. And I think that is so hard in America because we're individuals. We grow up being taught, you can make whatever you want for yourself, for your life. It's not a we, us, and them thing. It's a me, I, myself thing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the fact that we need to focus on ourselves. We do in our own personal walk with Christ. But I think sometimes we can look at that to the disregard of the oneness of this. That it's this we need to focus on a lot more and forget about ourselves a lot more often. And really see myself as this and not just this. I think it's really critical for us. And Paul here is reminding them of this. He goes, there's many parts here, but we're all one, guys. We're all just one body. Because you got to remember, we're all baptized by the one spirit into the one body. You weren't baptized into something else. You were baptized into Christ. And we're one. And I think the more we grasp hold of that paradigm, that way of thinking about each other, it can really radically change how we live our lives and what we do. You see, the challenge is no different for us than it is for them back then. You know, while we drove around the city, I can see some diversity in the city. There's richer areas or poor areas of town. There's just different types. You've got a, uh, the main university. I think you've got a technical school here, too. You've got the high schools. You've got a lot of people that come in and out for jobs. Um, just our nation is, in general is getting very diverse in the way we think, the way we process, the way social media happens. There's a lot of diversity. And back then, it says here that they had the issue of whether Jews or Greeks. I tell you what, if you ever studied Greco-Roman times back then, there was a polar difference between a Jewish person, the way they acted and lived, and a Greco-Roman guy. Completely different the way, from the way they ate, of course, to the, when they took time off, to the different activities they did, to the god or gods that they served, the way they would go to activities, to theaters or not to theaters, the foods. So many things were different. So if you sat down and you were Greek and the guy next to you was Jewish, you'd be like, what are we talking about? I have nothing in common with you. You have your part of town. I have my part of town. And our town parts don't really mix. We just don't do things together. And probably throughout the history, they're taught from little boys and girls, they're different. And, they're, and the same thing on the other side, they're different from us. And we don't, we're not like them. We coexist in this Roman Empire, but we're different. And then all of a sudden, you get thrown into a church, and you're together with completely different people. And you're like, how does this work out? And I know for each one of us, there's people that are socially different than you. Probably even in here and in our communities. People that are just different. The way they think, the things that they're into, the, their interests, the way they live their lives, their perspective, their, their heritage of growing up, it's different. But Paul, here's your minus, we're one in Christ. They also use the example of slaves and free people. Back then, it was a huge difference. You were, if you were a slave, even if you became a freed man later, you still never had the same privileges as somebody who was never uh, put into slavery. It was a huge issue there. 
You just did, you weren't able to vote. You had less rights, this, that, and the other. You weren't able, a lot of times, able to marry somebody that was different. The way you interacted with them was different. So for us, a slave and a free person to be in the same room, even though they could look exactly alike in their community, was like, you cannot do things with this person. And now all of a sudden, you're one, you're united, you're together, you have the same rights and responsibilities to each other. That was not an easy task for them to overcome. And yet Paul said, because of Christ, you have the common denominator. For a lot of us, the only common denominator might be Christ, and that's it that we have in common. We might not like the same music, the same movies. I don't like the Packers, personally. Um, There's a lot of things that are different. You may like gardening, the other person likes cooking. One person likes languages, one other one likes computers. One likes sports, one likes acting. We have so many different things that make us so different. But Paul, here's reminding us, it does not matter about any of those things because we have Christ in common, and that should unite us on a deep level because we are all in Christ. And so don't, I don't think we should try so hard to get each other to like our same likes, like the same book, the same movie. We just need to like on Christ. Don't worry if the person next to you doesn't like what you like. If they do, amen, that's a nice extra. But here, that's not the focus. The focus is Christ. And that's what he wants. Going on in verse 14. It says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. It's really important to see what he's saying here. And this point is, the church needs you. The argument here is that, well, because I'm not the hand, I'm just a foot, I'm not really needed here. And it's very easy to look at certain people as the highlight. Well, I don't preach. I don't come up front to do something. I'm not in charge of something. I just kind of come, and I'm just kind of a foot. So I don't really belong to the body. And here, Paul is making a strong argument that every one of us is a part of the body. In fact, the church needs you. It's tempting to think those thoughts, though, at times, isn't it? Or I'm new. Who am I? What what am I here for? But the church needs all types to be full and complete. And that includes you. Because what does it say here? Who's arranged the parts of the body? God. God has arranged the parts of the body just as he wanted. God has ordained you with your strengths and your weaknesses and all the problems you bring into the church and all your victories, all your past, good, bad, and ugly, in because we need that. We need all that. You know, sometimes we think the only thing the church needs of me is my, what I'm really, really good at. And yes, they need that 100%. I think they've been talking about the 5%. Um, idea of, okay, what has is, what is God really gifted you with? And I think when you really discover that and you have that passion, please use that for God. But one thing I've learned, too, is God wants me to bring in my, my baggage because that might help somebody to help me. And by helping me, that helps them to be more like Christ. 
Or maybe you've had physical problems, and they get to serve you. Or they get to see how you still live despite your challenges. Paul, what did Paul boast about? His weaknesses, his insults, his hardships. He brought his baggage to church. But the thing is, we need that from each other. We need to see what you're going through. I need to know what other brothers and sisters are going through. And you guys need to know what I'm going through if I'm going to be of help to others. And that's important to see. That we're all needed. Because if you don't believe you're needed, you're going to believe you're, you don't need to be here. What's the difference if I'm here this Sunday? It doesn't matter. What's it matter if I don't really give my best? Nobody really notices me anyway. Nobody ever talks to me. Nobody ever what, dot, dot, dot. But when you see that God sees you as essential to this group, that this church needs you, and you really believe that, you're going to give your best. Because you're going to say, they need me this Sunday. They need me Monday. They need me this week. Because I bring something to the table that nobody else brings because I'm uniquely created by God. And I, he's divinely put me into this church for a specific reason. They need me. And when we believe that, we give more energy. We give more time, more of our resources. Because we know of our value, not in a prideful way, but in just an understanding of who we are in Christ that we bring. I have two kidneys. I don't normally talk about my kidneys, right? I don't normally go around and say, hey, bro, I got two kidneys. Just think about my kidneys. You ever thought about my kidneys? No. It seems almost humorous. Because why? They're not noticeable. People don't talk about them. They're not attractive. They're even hidden. But if you take out my kidneys, I'm going to die. They're essential. You know, sometimes we feel like a kidney. Nobody notices me. I'm rarely mentioned. I'm not worldly attractive in the sense of any whatevers. I'm kind of hidden, but you're essential. You might feel like a kidney, but you're needed in this church. You know, I love the fact that the Bible, Paul likes to use the analogy of the, the, hum, the human body for a lot of examples. I'm a physical therapist, so it makes a lot of sense to me. I spend a lot of time explaining to people how an injury, you have this, but this connects to this, and this connects to this, and this is why this all kind of, you know, can hurt, and this things you need to work on, whatever, to, to improve yourself, to really understand how this all works together. Um, is really important to what I do. And I love that analogy because we connect. And you can't exist by yourself. You know, if you chop your finger off, unless what's-her-name fixes it, and it just sits there on the table, that finger's going to die. It, but if you connect it back to the, the body won't die, but the finger will die. The, the, it needs it. And I don't know if you've ever tried to function without an index finger. I never have. But, it, you know, people who don't have an index finger, it's a lot harder to do things. I have a friend. He lost his big toe in a lawnmower accident. So his balance is really bad. Can he still walk? Yes. But without that big toe, he's not nearly as effective in his ability to walk, run, do things with balance. And so when he cut one of us off, yes, the body will still move along, but not nearly as effective as what if you were there. You're essential. And you may never know the level of importance you have to the body of Christ until you're in heaven. Because we're not always really good at identifying what we see in each other. But it doesn't matter, because at the end, we will know that. There are things that you go through that the church needs to know about to each other. When we'd been married four months, I got leukemia. 
and uh, aggressive form. I would have died in two weeks. Luckily, we caught it and I got cured of that. But after that happened, one of the things that really happened was bringing that disease into the church. People started to talk to me that had problems, significant health problems, because they felt like I could relate to them now. And they want to know, what did you feel when you went through that? What helped you when you were at the bottom rung of your life, almost completely depressed, having everything stripped away from you in your life? What helped you? And all of a sudden, I was a reference point for a person that was going through health problems that had I not gone through that, that wouldn't have been something I could bring to the church. We bring so many things to the church. I love hearing people's victory stories of when they were going through some of the hardest sins some of the hardest challenges of their lives, and they bring that and they share what they're going through or have gone through, and just to see how inspiring they can be. Or just to be that person that can, maybe God's wanting me to be used to help somebody. But if nobody ever brings in their life, I don't know that. And we need to see that we're essential. The whole package, the whole you is essential. We need you. We need everything of you. Don't hold back from sharing who you are. Be real with who you are. He goes on, verse 21. Now, this is the flip side. He says, now the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special modesty. Or we treat with uh, special honor. And the parts that are... uh, uh, unpresentable or treated with special modesty. While our, predict, our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. God, Jesus wants us to have equal concern for each other. He's the head, we're his family. You know, if you have children... You want your kids to have equal concern for each other. You want them to love and think of each other. You want that relationship to be healthy and vibrant. The argument he's making here is the opposite. Earlier we saw that, I don't think I'm needed. Now it's the other way, saying, I don't think I need you. How many times do we look around and say, I don't, we don't say it, but we say, I don't need that person. I don't need that sister. Eh, whatever, they can just live their life but we really don't see the importance, as it says here, that they're, in the NIV, indispensable to the body. Now, there'll be more time we'll spend with certain people than others, and that's normal. You can't spend equal time with everybody in church. But to realize the indispensability each one of us has with each other, that each one of us has something to offer another person. But when we don't see that, we're missing out on how God can mold our lives because of each other. We get really focused on what Jesus can specifically do for us and what the Word can do for us, but we forget a lot of times He uses each other for that. A lot of times we don't want this part. For many years I didn't want this because this part's messy, isn't it? We're messy. We're kind of messed up people. We have quirks and issues, and we're not always the most pleasant people to be around. But this is really important for us to become mature in Christ is how we interact with each other. And we need to see that every person's essential. When I was a young Christian in Kansas City, I, had a, I was single and I had a couple of roommates. And one of my roommates was this really, this young, short guy, been around for a couple of years, really quiet guy. We related on basically no issue other than the fact that I loved the food he made. <laughs> and I just remember in my prideful heart thinking, he's a great brother that I need to help him. 
But I remember he shared with me something about my character one day that has never left my mind about how I needed to grow, and he noticed it in me. And he just kind of, in a gentle, loving way, just kind of challenged me with it. One of the most impactful brothers of my life. I remember I was in um, San Francisco years ago, finishing up a clinical rotation for schooling, and we went to this, um, this home of this, uh, some single people that are celebrating this uh, guy and, and girl kind of um, starting to date, I believe. And they were sharing about the brother, and he had a lot of special needs. A lot of things were going on, and uh, he had to walk with the, the lost strand crutches, the ones that go on your forearms. He had a lot of problems. He'd get very tired very quickly. Um, he would come, they were sharing, and they were sharing how he would come to church and sit in front, and he just really wanted to be supportive. He would say, amen, brother or sister, whoever's up front, just trying to encourage him. But then he'd run out of breath. He'd just get so tired with his lungs that he had a, made a sign that said amen, and he'd get tired. He'd just hold the sign and say, amen, amen. And the way that people were sharing about this brother with all these, these quote, needs, they were all inspired by him. And not just that reason, but many reasons. When it's so easy for us to look through our view, through the world's view, at people and say, they're kind of non-essential. We don't say that, but we act like that. Who do you see as maybe non-essential for you? Maybe that's the person that's going to most help you in your Christian walk. It's amazing what we have to offer each other. You know, I just um, was on jury duty for a whole month. And I don't know if you've ever been on jury duty. I got picked twice to actually be on a jury. So I had to do a criminal case the first week of this April. And I just got off of a civil case. Uh, and so if you've ever sent a jury, then at the end, after they present everything over the two days that we had, then the, we have to deliberate, right? So there's myself and 11 other jurors. And we have to come up with, uh, well, first was a guilty or not guilty. And the second one was how much money is offered here in this situation. And at first I was thinking, how in the world are... Are 12 of us going to come up with any consensus? And how, what do I need them for anyway? I've heard it all myself. I can just stamp the thing myself in my prideful heart. But when we got together and deliberated amongst each other, it was so amazing to hear different people's perspectives. I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, that makes sense. And just to hear 11 other people share about the same thing and their perspectives on something, it really helped us all to zone in together when we listened to each other, what we thought, and come to a really great decision and felt really, you know, conscience really good about what we, the verdict, the verdicts that we gave. And these were random people. These weren't even disciples. These were just random people. We didn't know each other before this. And yet, but just by sitting down together, sharing, what is your thoughts? What is your thoughts on this? It just really opened my eyes that, I didn't know all that stuff. I'm sure glad we talked. If that's the way it can be in the world on a jury, in a court, how much more so with each other? How much perspective are we missing out because of our pride and, and just not knowing that we should be seeing the value of the other foot, the eye, the kidney, the brain, whatever it may be, that's sitting right next to you around here? We need each other. The church needs each other. You know, in verse 25, it goes on, it says, so that there should be no divisions in the body, but that all the parts should have equal concern. It's the opposite, equal concern for each other. That's a tough phrase when you think about, do I have equal concern for people in the church as I do for myself? Do I have an equal concern as God wants to build this up? Because in the world, it's the opposite. The world teaches us that most people or many people 
are useless. They don't say it, but in so many ways, some people are useless to you, they're worthless, and they should be ignored. If you really want to get from point A to point B in your life, you're going to have to avoid certain kinds of people. Step around, step over certain people because they're going to get in your way. They're different than you. They oppose you or whatever it may be. Their viewpoints are different. Ignore, avoid these certain types of people. And yet we can take those same thoughts into the church at times. We have to see, no, we don't avoid, jump over, skip around different people. They're not getting in your way in your ministry. They probably are your ministry, what you need to do with God. Verse 26 he hits it home further. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This verse makes sense to me when I think of my, with our daughter. If she, something really great happens, or like at school, she's all excited, I get excited. Janella doesn't have to tell me, Shannon, you should get excited about that. Why? Because I have such an emotional connection with her. I get excited. And vice versa, if she suffers, if she falls, hurts herself, crying, something happened to her, I feel it. My heart starts pacing. I start getting concerned. What's going on? And I immediately want to do something about it because I'm connected to her deeply. But the question I have for myself, do I feel that same way with my brothers and sisters? When they rejoice about something great that happens in their life, do I rejoice too? Or am I more like, oh, I wish it would happen to me? Am I more jealous than Excited for them. When one part suffers, do I really suffer with them? Or, oh, too bad. And how, we can't force that to happen. That happens through developing connections with each other. Emotional, close connections where we get to really know each other. Spend time with each other. It can't just happen otherwise. But the more we do that, the more we can rejoice with each other when they're rejoicing. Suffer with those who are suffering. And I think that's so important. That's what he wants us to, to develop and build. You know, as we finish out here, you know, it says here, now you are the body of Christ, verse 27, and each one of you is a part of it. I don't know what kind of groups you've ever been a part of. You know, you think about what's the best society, organization, group, fraternity, college, high school, business club you could be a part of. None of them compare to being a part of the body of Christ. Your membership in the body of Christ so far away as being a member of Congress, an alum of Harvard, uh, being on the Brewers here, I guess, or you know, being an Oscar winner, a Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize winner, all these different clubs you could be a part of, the Masters, golf winners, the Green Jacket Club. All those clubs are considered so amazing to people. They think it's so glorious to be a part of those. But you see what we have here is so much better than that. This club, the society, this body, this church, to be the considered part of the body of Christ is no greater honor than you'll ever have in your life. Those of you who are, I think, over here in college, I don't care what degree you get. I don't care how high you go. I don't care if you're magna cum laude of all universities and you become a research expert and discover the cure for whatever. That club that you may then join because of that will never compare to what you have here already in the church. Never. Close. If you're in politics and you become the mayor of Eau Claire, I don't know if you even have the mayor of Eau Claire. If you were the mayor of Eau Claire and you did all this great stuff and, and all that happened to you or you became, you know, Phil, uh, Paul Ryan's getting out, right? So you'd be next Paul Ryan or whatever. You're like, oh, I'm so great. I'm in, I'm in the next politics. That will never compare to what you already have here, ever. You may have the gr greatest family. This is the family of God. It's even better than that. This is the best place. 
And when we see that and we see our value and the value of those sitting next to us, it changes how we look at things. In Colossians, it tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, right? We can never lose sight of that. Because if we try to develop an organization and we leave the head out, this ain't going to work. But the more we continually focus on Jesus, continually focus on what he's teaching us, the way he lived his life, the way he loves us, we will be what we need to be. The world around us is looking for this. They're looking for something great like this. You know, the, the big word is inclusivity now. We're all inclusive with each other. But what we're learning is it doesn't work, does it, in America? It just doesn't work. You can't fit it because there's no common denominator. You can't take subjectivism and make it work. You've got to have an objective standard. The objective standard we live by is Christ. And when we can take that to other people, that objective standard works because it changes lives. It helps us to be for each other what we need to be. Jesus, in my opinion, one of the best evangelistic tools we have, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, by our love. The more they see this work, the more they're going to be, wow, something's going on there because they're going to see it. People are looking for that. I really believe that, whether it's us seeing that in Sioux Falls and other, and then here in Eau Claire, wherever you might live, they're looking for something that works. Are they not? As we get ready to take the communion, we have to remember going back to the beginning that he said we're baptized into one body. Without the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus that we enter through baptism, we're not baptized into that one body. It's kind of a mute point about what we're talking about today. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, his sacrifice for us, his seeing the value of this, he died for this. He died for church. He died for this community that you're part of. He died for that. So as we take this and we do remember our own self, I really pray and hope that we don't forget the oneness. We need to think of ourselves, yes, as a person, but we more often need to think of ourselves as a group. How am I a part of this group? How do I help? What can I get from this group? What can they give me? They really see the, the joy and the amazing part of this group. That's what Jesus wants. He wants family. Family. Let's pray, and then we're going to take the communion after that. Father, we just thank you so much that you gave your son to die for us. And yes, he... Um, he died on the cross. He gave us our sacrifice of his body for us. And as we take the bread, we remember that. And as we take the cup, we remember the forgiveness of sins that we get. And we also remember that gives the entry into your church, into your body. And I pray that as we take it, we, we can just continually commit to making you the head of us as individuals and the head of us as a body. Because we know that without you as a head, we can go nowhere. But we thank you for your love, and I pray that your love will help transfer into our hearts more and more every day for each other, too. We thank you in your son's name we pray. Amen.